We're going to talk about today something that's, uh, that's going to be not very popular with some of y'all, and it's going to maybe be hard to hear, and that's okay, because uh, that's the way God's Word is sometimes. It's kind of like we talked about last week is, you know, you tell me i got to get rid of that pair of jeans that's got holes in it that I love, uh, that old sweatshirt that I just love, and it fits great, and it feels good, but it's got holes on it, and I know I should throw it away, but I'm not getting rid of it because I'm comfortable with it. And in the same way, sometimes we're, we're very comfortable in, in our habits and, and some of our attitudes about things, and you know, somebody will maybe confront us on that or, or challenge us on that, and we say, yeah, I know, that's just who I am. And, and that's really not who you are if it goes against what God's Word says, because God did not create you to be something contrary to what His Word says that you are and who you are. And so we need to get rid of some of those things, and it's hard. It's hard to admit it. It's hard to get rid of it. And sometimes, like I said, we want to go back and get that old pair of jeans that somebody's trying to throw away and get it out of the the garbage bag or the bin or whatever, somebody's trying to haul it off and bring it back and start wearing it again. And, and that's just how we are as humans. But, but when Jesus comes into our lives, he says, I, I want to transform you. I want to change you from the inside out. And I want to do something. I want to resurrect you into the Craig, into the whoever that you have all, I've always intended and created you to be. And there's a transformation that needs to take place, and, and we have to understand that. So we're going to talk about today some, uh, uh, some relational teaching, because we've been talking about, if, it's your, if you're here for the first time, we've been going through this letter called the Letter to Colossians that Paul wrote to a first century group of people who were, you know, you might say, oh, well, that was, you know, all that time ago, 2,000 years ago in a different part of the world, but they were people too, and they had relationships just like, uh, just like we do, and they were struggling relationally, they were struggling with how the culture says this and how Paul is teaching about this Jesus who said this, and there was this little bit of conflict there. And they live at a place where there's people coming in and out, selling and trading things, and they have their philosophies about life, and they have their religions and their faith. And so a lot of people were, were falling into this trap called syncretism, where you, you kind of just say, hey, I'm going to go to the golden corral of religion, and I'm just going to take a little bit of everything. You know, I'm even going to dip some of it in the chocolate sauce or whatever fountain there. And I'm just going to have a little bit of all those religions and hope it all comes out in the end. But Paul is saying, hey, you don't need anything but Jesus. The, the, the creator of the universe came and became flesh and dwelt among you, and he experienced everything we have yet was without sin, and then he died for us a sacrificial death, and he cleanses us and gives us a new start, and through his resurrection, he gives us a new life and eternity. That's what you need to know, and that only. All that other stuff, if, if that's true about Jesus, and it is, then you don't need all that other stuff. You need to stay focused on him, because adding all that other stuff, all it does is say what he did wasn't enough, and it was enough, and it is enough, and that shows us how much love. So Paul's been saying, "This is who God is, this is who Jesus is, and this is what He's done for you, and this is how much He loves you." So therefore, based on who He is and what He's done for you, this is how you should behave, this is how you should act, this is how you should live your life if you really believe that. And, and I jotted down on that song we just sang, our affection, our devotion poured out at the feet of Jesus. If you're going to sing that, and you're going to say that, then your life needs to show it. Not just in here on Sunday when it's, you know, oh, we're, we're all into worship right now. And I'm not making fun of that, I'm just saying. Those are powerful words that I was singing too. And if I'm going to say that, then it means my life has to show that outside of just Sunday during worship. It needs to transform every part of my life. So I'm going to tell you some things today about relationships. And I need to tell you I'm coming to you as a sinful, 
flawed person that has dysfunctional relationships in my family. I have dysfunctional relationships with some of my friends at times. And I don't have a better handle on this. I do not practice what Paul teaches as I should. And when I don't practice what Paul and God teaches in his word about family and relational relationships, I run into problems. Anybody else? But just because I'm flawed and I don't do it does not mean that we just go, well, that doesn't matter. We, I want you to hear clearly today what God is saying through Paul. Paul was flawed in his relationships, but he's saying this is clearly God is the one who says this is how you're supposed to live relationships. This is how you're supposed to live out relationships if you want them to be as I designed them to be. And, you know, we don't like God's design sometimes, do we? And you may not like that. You may not like what Moses or Paul said about God. And we can choose to reject what God has set up for relationships. And God says, that's okay because I've certainly given you, as one of the gifts I've given you, is this wonderful thing called free will. I'm not going to make you believe me. I'm not going to make you obey me. I'm not going to force that on you. I showed you on the cross how much I loved you, that I'm willing to die for you so that you will take this seriously. I don't have to force you, so you have free will. And many of us will nod our heads in agreement to this today, and we'll say, yeah, Paul's right. Yeah, understand the way God set up relationships. That's exactly right. That's his design. But you're going to walk right out of here, and you're going to continue in the dysfunctional relationship you're in. Because you know what? That's more comfortable, isn't it? Just not going to say anything. Not going to rock the boat. I, don't wanna, I, don't, I just don't want to change. It's too hard. And I get that. That's human nature. But we just sang about a God who said, "What? nothing is impossible for him. He can change relationships. But here's the deal. you got to stop, and I've got to stop focusing on who needs to change to make my life better. I can't change anybody. I can't force somebody to do what God says they should do in their relationships. But what God can do in me is change me. I'm the only person that I can change. Not my spouse, not my kids, not people I work with, not horrible drivers, as I'm always mentioning them. I can only change the way I drive and the way I react. That's what God's asking us to do. So if God is truly the creator, and I believe he is, of the whole universe, the physical universe, I also believe that he is the creator of humanity and marriage and family and relationships, then we would do well to listen to his design and his plan and his instructions as we try to navigate through all the different relationships we have in our life, because we have a lot of them, don't we? And it's hard, isn't it? It's not easy, and we bump into stuff all the time. And again, many of us will hear this today, but we will continue to operate in our own wisdom. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's probably true. But God and you do not understand my situation and the crazy spouse I have or the crazy kids or my crazy boss or my crazy employees or my crazy neighbor, whatever it is. You try to say, but there's an exception. And God is saying, no, my word is timeless. It's the same for Adam and Eve as it is for you today. And it will be for your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. It always, it doesn't matter about all those other people. The truth is the truth. It is exclusive always and it is timeless. But some of us are going to say, no, I'm going to go with my wisdom. I'm going to go with what pop culture tells me, how relationships to be. But here's the good news. Jesus said, that's fine. I gave you free will. You can do whatever you want. I'm not going to make you do your marriage the way... I say you can do it. You can do it however you want to do it. I'm not going to make you do your relationships with your boyfriend or your girlfriend um, my way. You can do whatever you want. You have the free will to do that. I'm just telling you, I created you. I created relationships, and this is the way I designed them to be. I wired people in a certain way, male and female, to be that way. And if you want to do it your way, that's fine. And the good news about that is that Jesus sits on the porch like the, the prodigal son's father, and he says, 
You can reject that all you want, but I'm going to sit on the porch, and when you're ready to come home, I'm going to open my arms and run out to meet you and say, welcome home. You're ready to submit to my lordship. That's awesome. Now let's start doing it the right way. He's always waiting for us. and He's going to run out to meet us, not go, what are you doing back? No, I'm going to run out. Let's throw a party. You've realized that I am who I said I am. I'm not only your creator, but I'm your savior. And I want to have relationship with you. Not just a bunch of religion. I want to have relationship with you. And that's what we're going to look at today. So this morning, we, before we get into what Paul said to this first century church of Jesus followers about specific relationships, and it's specific, I want us to go all the way back to Genesis, because this is where Paul is coming from, from the very beginning. And uh, we want to talk about the, the foundational components that God designed for us to have in our relationships. And please understand this. Whenever we attempt to remove or change the foundational components of what God has designed uh, relationally uh, in the framework of relationships, whenever we try to change that biblical and historical framework with Him being God as the Creator, we're in trouble. You can look from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, when they tried to change the framework of what God designed, it always didn't end well. It doesn't mean there's not forgiveness and restoration because the Bible speaks always, always, always of an alternative hope for the future, for me and for you and for any human. There's always forgiveness. There's always repentance. There's always an opportunity to be forgiven and restored back to who God always wanted us to be. But we sometimes say, hey, we're going to change the framework. I'm not going to change my behavior. I'm just going to change the standard." And that's what our culture wants to do right now. And history continues to prove generation after generation when we try to do relationships different from the way God designed them, there's going to be issues, major, major issues. So that's what we want to get at today. And Satan from the very beginning has been trying to deceive us and to believing that we can in and of ourselves, the created, we can be over the creator. And we can operate apart from God and the creator in our own wisdom and our own action. Matter of fact, we deserve that. Matter of fact, I'm entitled to be my own boss. And God said, that's fine if you want to do it that way. I'll let you have it. I'll, I'll give you all the rope you want to have to hang yourself with. But I'm going to be standing there when you're ready to come back, and I'm going to open my arms and welcome you back. And basically, we deny the need for God and His plan and His design for all of relationships and salvation all that when we say, I can do it myself. I don't need God. And some of you may be thinking that today. I don't need all this religion stuff. Somebody drug you here, made you come, and you're not happy about it. And that's okay. God is saying, hey, I've heard that. You think I haven't heard that from somebody before? I hadn't dealt with rebellious people before? I've always dealt with rebellious people. But I love you enough to let you go through that and be here waiting on you when you're ready to hear and do it my way. So but when we trust and submit to God and His design for relationships... Um, especially in relationship, he leads us to a deeper and more meaningful relationships than we could ever imagine when we really will try to do it his way. So with that in mind, I'd like us to start in Genesis, and we're going to start on the sixth day of creation when he creates man or humans. And uh, I'm going to read this. It may be on screen. I didn't give this to this guy. Look at that, man. Y'all are awesome. I didn't even give it to him when they got up there. So listen to what he says in chapter 1. In verse 26, he said, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. And when you say our, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, our image. They're there from the very beginning. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God are working together on this plan for the world. I know it's weird. How do you understand how three can be one? But I'm going to go with it. 
So he said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And you hunter and fishermen are eating that up. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are image bearers. Do you realize that? As a human being, you bear the image of God. You might be a male, you might be a female, but you bear the image of God. That's how he designed it from the very beginning. So humans, from the very beginning, we are stewards, we are managers, we are subduers, we are rulers of God's creation. Now, because we are managers and he said subdue the earth, that doesn't mean we abuse it. That doesn't mean we don't take that lightly because God says you are a manager of the creation I've given you, but we still are to subdue it and rule over it. Think about that. Can you rule over something and love it and cherish it and take care of it? Absolutely you can. That's what God intended to do. So we're going to go to chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25. And so the Lord took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable Helper for, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. What an awesome job that would be, right? You get to name all the animals. Hippopotamus, you know? Rhinoceros, you know? Salamander, whatever it is. You get to name all those. God gave him that. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was the name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds, and the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife. And the two become what? One flesh. That's God's design. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I don't care what the TV show says, naked and afraid. They were not. They were naked and not ashamed and they weren't afraid. And y'all laugh and I'm going to get back to it seriously about that in a minute. Which I don't understand that whole show anyway. I mean, can you imagine one of your friends saying, so yeah, so I'm going to be on this show and I'm going to get completely naked with a stranger and we're going to camp out. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, especially for those people who are married. And your wife is okay with that? You know, that's crazy. But anyway, so we see in this account, God says it's not good for man to be alone. And God says, I need to make you a suitable helper. He looked at all the animals and go, they're awesome. And, and I know there was some sort of relationship that, um, uh, that Adam had with the animals. Like, we love our animals. Believe me, I understand that. But that was not a suitable helper. They were naked and unashamed, okay? They didn't even realize this is the way it is. They, they had no shame. They had no fear. This is just the way things were. But notice that God, what God made for Adam. He needed a suitable helper. And what God made for him was one woman. He didn't make for him another man or another group of men. He didn't make for him a whole group of women. He made for him one woman. Equal to him 
different from him, different roles, but he knew in his divine plan that this is what the man needs. He's wired this way, he's created this way, but the woman is created this way, she's a little different, and those two coming together will be perfect. He made one woman as a helper and a companion and a partner for procreation. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that's just saying, hey, we're going to keep on making the human race come about. And it takes one of each to happen, and that's the way God designed it to be. Without that design, there is no more human race. Have you ever thought about that? That's the way God designed it. So that was God's plan from the, from the very beginning. And moving on, we're going to go to chapter 3, and this is where we have the fall. So we know that they ignored. They were in this beautiful garden. They were walking with God on a daily basis, and but they decided that they were going to break the one rule that he said, don't eat of that tree. That's all you got to do. Don't eat. But they went ahead. And so God confronts them in chapter 3. Verse 8, chapter 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid and naked. That's where they got the name for the TV show. You weren't afraid before. You didn't even know you were naked before. So I know you ate of the tree because now you're afraid and naked. Before you were naked and joyful or whatever, you know. You were happy. You understood. But he says, I was naked, so I hid. And he says, who told you that you were naked? You've been found out. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, as we all do, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. It's her fault. You gave me this suitable helper and look what she did to us. Okay? And then she says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And this is, I told the first service, this is something I never thought about before. She says, she actually says, I was deceived. I don't know how long this was, how many hours they'd been hiding from God, afraid and naked. But they, when God found me, he goes, I was deceived by the serpent. The moment she ate, y'all, Something was different, and she knew it. I was deceived. It's not the same with God. It's not the same with Adam. It's not the same without Clozo. Now I know there's something different that's happened, and that's the way sin is in our life, y'all. We go, no, God doesn't really know. It's not that bad. It's not going to be that kind of consequences. And then when we do it, we go, oh, something's different. My heart's different. My soul's different. I think differently now. I feel differently now because I was deceived, and now she knows what did, what, did, what did Satan say to her? Hey, you can be like God. Don't listen to him. He just doesn't want you to think and know like he does. He's the creator. You should be the creator. You should be God, not him. Don't let him talk you into allowing him just to be God. And she knew she was deceived right there. And then he says, So the Lord said to the serpent, and there was consequences to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Very prophetic, as, as Jesus will come into the world. And to the woman he said this, This will be your consequences for this. And I want you to understand here, he's telling the woman... There's going to be consequences for you, and man, there's going to be consequences. They're not going to be the same. They're going to be different because you're different, and you're wired different, and I created you different. So listen to what he says. I will make your, your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. You're, listen, ladies, you're not going to like this, but listen to this. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. What? My husband ain't ruling over me. Not in my house. He's an idiot. 
I rule the house. He may think he rules the house, but I rule the house. This is a consequence. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And then to Adam, he said, because you listen to your wife. I set you up as the leader, and you listened to her, and you ate from the tree which I commanded you not. It said, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since it was... Um, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And we talked about this Wednesday night, Ash Wednesday. We always say stuff like that. Was that true? Absolutely. He came from the dust. God formed Adam from the dust, and he was going to die now and be buried back to the dust. So you see, it was a different consequence from him. He goes, you remember how you had it so easy in that garden? All you had to do was eat. You took care of the garden, and you cared for it. But all that stuff God was doing, all you had to do was be a part of caring for it. You didn't have to work with thorns and thistles and the sweat of your brow and had to work in order just to eat that stuff. It was already there for you. But that's the consequence you're going to have now. Now notice two things. Again, the consequences were different for both the man and the woman. Woman, you're going to have pain and childbearing. It's going to be awful. And any of y'all that have had babies, y'all know what they're talking about. Us men, we will never understand that, ever we can say, oh, what's the big deal? No, if, we, if it was up to us, there wouldn't be hardly any kids because we cannot handle that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, well, at least me. I'm not going to speak for everybody. But you will desire your husband and he will rule over you. So, man, the ground will be cursed. So with this framework, Paul is speaking into the Colossian church in, you know, some, I don't know, four, 6,000 years later. Because Paul knows this backwards and forwards. He's read it. Do you realize that Paul had memorized the first five books of the Bible? I'm not exaggerating. Jewish boys in that culture memorized word for word all five books of the, uh, of the Old Testament. Can you even fathom that? What? Yeah, school's so hard, isn't it? That's hard. I would have failed, but he memorized. So he knows this framework, and he's speaking into a new culture. But he said, the framework doesn't change in relationships. And so with this, he's saying, hey, you people in Colossae need to understand where I'm coming from. Those who have been raised with Christ and want to submit to his lordship in their relationships, who have changed their wardrobe and now have taken off themselves and put on Christ, this is the way your relationship should be. And so he goes into Colossians chapter 3, verses 18, and let's have that up there. And your ladies, y'all hate to hear this, I know. It's like, well, whatever. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Paul's saying, as fitting in the Lord. He's the creator. He's the one who created you. He's the one who created all of creation. He created marriage. He created husbands and wives. And he's saying, I want you to submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. And submit does not have to be a bad word, y'all. It does not mean allow yourself to be walked all over. It does not mean that you have to allow an abusive husband to keep abusing you. That is not what he ever intended. But listen to what he says to the man next. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And just like there were different consequences because of the fall, there are different things because of the way we're wired that he tells us. Why didn't he say, both of you submit to one another? Why didn't he say, women, love your husbands and don't be harsh with them? Now, let's be honest. When, the kids, when you get on to the kids, who's more harsh with the kids, the wife or the husband? Most of the time, it's the husband. That's just the way we're wired. Our voice is going to be madder. We get you know, fired up about that stuff a little more because we're wired different. 
So he's telling women one thing and he's telling men something completely different. And notice in these two different teachings, you know, there's a complementary role for each in this marriage. Not one's better than the other. Not one is more important than the other, but they're complementary roles. And one has to have one and one has to have the other for it to work like God designed it. And again, you don't have to like that. You don't have to agree with it, but that's what God's word says. And we got to believe that and start acting like it. So he didn't say, wives, you don't need to, because you know what? Y'all are naturally loving. You're naturally not going to be harsh. You don't know my wife. You know, she can be harsh. Okay? But usually we're driven to that, and I'll get to that in a minute. You, you women are usually driven to that, being harsh and not loving because of the way we're acting. And I'll get to that in a minute. So why is that? Well, we're, we're designed differently, and y'all know that. But Paul in Ephesians 5, and the, the letter he wrote to the church at, at Ephesus is very similar to Colossians. But listen to what he says specifically. He says, wives, again, he says in that letter, submit to your husbands, but you also must respect your husbands. And then he says, husbands, love your wives. He says that same thing again to the, to the group at Ephesus, but he says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, would you rather submit to your husband or try to love your husband as Christ loved the church? Which is more a higher bar there? I'm thinking loving your wife as Christ loved the church. That's a much higher bar than simply submitting. So guys, that's, a, that's huge. That's huge. And let me tell you, in my life, when I am not submitting to what God's called me to be as a husband, that's when my marriage goes off the rails. And think about this for a minute. He didn't say, husbands, you need to respect your wives. He said you need to love them. Because our tendency is, is when she's made me mad or I feel like she's been disrespectful to me, then I'm going to act unloving towards her. Is that not true? And so, wives, if you're being, dis, you know, being disrespectful to your husband, he's going to start kind of going, I'm not going to love her now. And you wives, if you feel like your husband is not loving you, not being loving towards you, guess what you start doing? You start being disrespectful, don't you? And you idiot, give me the checkbook. I'll take care of that. I'll take my own car to the place since you won't do it. I'm going to get the hammer out and do it myself because you're never going to fix this. And he's like, that's fine. I don't care if the house falls down. And we're laughing because we know this stuff goes on. You know, you're going, I just hope he doesn't give my example. <laughs> But listen, I can tell you right now, in this season of my life, and there's a, there's a, a guy who wrote a book, um, Dr. Egerich, called Love and Respect, and it's based on Paul's teaching in the New Testament. It's called Love and Respect, and he talks about this crazy cycle that people get on, and it's so true. As long as the men are being unloving towards their wives, she's going to be disrespectful. And as long as she's going to keep being disrespectful, then he's going to be unloving. It's called the crazy cycle, and you just keep going on and on. And you know what? Your kids see it. Your, your friends see it. And it's uncomfortable for everybody. But boy, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm standing my ground. But until you as a husband say, I don't care how disrespectful she is to me, I'm going to love her. And until you wives say, I don't care how unloving he is to me, I'm going to show him respect and submit to him, it's not going to change. Somebody's got to say, I'm the one who's going to get off this crazy cycle and I'm going to do the right thing. Because here it is again, you can't change your wife and you can't change your husband. You can only change who? You. You've got to change your, the way you act. And you say, but you just don't know my situation, Craig. You're right. I, 100% you're right. I do not know. God does. And God's the one that made these rules. And he's the one that said, this is what you've got to do. And I'm not asking you to change your husband because he knows that's impossible. But God can do something in your heart and in my heart. And husbands 
Um, we need to understand our role that, you know, we're weak in the loving area, and we need to, to work on that. And, and women, you need to understand sometimes you can be disrespectful and, and try to take over things when maybe you need to submit and let him do that. And there's a way to approach your husband, and there's a way to approach your wife. And God is saying through this teaching that that's what you've got to know, how she's wired, how he's wired, and you've got to approach him in that way. With love or with respect, that's what you've got to do depending on, on who you are. Well, my spouse is not going to change. That's okay. God doesn't say that you're expected to change your spouse. You need to change. You don't change the standard. You change your behavior. Did you hear that? You don't change the standard of what marriage is supposed to be, and that's what our culture is trying to do. I went by a church yesterday, and I almost drove off the road going, what in the world is going on at that church? It was all these banners and stuff and advertisements for political-type stuff, and I just went, what in the world? That's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Are you saying that only certain people can come to your church? Because that's what I, I take as I drive by your church. That's just kind of crazy to me. I thought all were welcome at church. All people were welcome, regardless of where you are. While you're still sinners, please come to Southwest Christian Church because we're all trying to get well here. But we've been made well through the blood of Christ, and that's the good news of the gospel message. And God, y'all, he wants more than anything else for us to enjoy what marriage should be, what he created marriage to be. And some of y'all out there may be divorced. Some of you may um, uh, be a widow or a widower. Some of you may be um, a young person. You've never been married, and you're just like, what in the world does this have to do with me this morning? I hope you hear it now. Foundationally, this is stuff you need. If you can learn that love and respect thing before you ever get married, it's going to make your, your marriage so much stronger. I promise you that. But here's the deal. Some of us have grown up with marriages in our midst that were not good. You know what I'm talking about? And that's what we saw. And we knew something wasn't right, and it was, it was hard to watch that. But I'll tell you what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for the church, because in the church I saw a lot of people who did practice this. Not that we're perfect, but people who did practice this. And I said, that's the design that God really wants for marriage because they love each other. They respect each other. Their marriage is one where they really do care about each other. And that's the beauty of what God wants the church to be. And interestingly enough, what, does, what is the one example God uses to say, Jesus is the groom and the church is the what? The bride. One church, one bride, the church, and one groom, Jesus Christ. That's the way our marriages should be. Man, why would he use that example unless that's exactly what he wanted our marriages to be? And I'm telling you, if you're a grandparent or a parent, whoever you are today, in your marriage, somebody's watching your marriage all the time. And your kids take cues from you, don't they? The way you treat your wife, that's the way your, your kids are going to, I mean, sons are going to treat their wife. The way you treat your husband, that's the way your daughters are going to do that. So it's I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty because, man, I, I fail at it all the time. But when you fail, sometimes you need to get your kids and say, you know what, that was wrong. I want you to know dad was not being the husband that God's called me to be. And they need to hear you say, I'm sorry I was wrong. Please forgive me to your wife. They need to hear, I'm sorry I was wrong. Please forgive me to them. And we're going to get into the, uh, um, the parent and child thing next week and, and some of that other stuff Paul talks about in here. But let me tell you something. This church 
need strong marriages. This country needs strong marriages. Kids that are thinking about getting married in the future need to see strong and healthy marriages. And so it can be done. And Paul's saying it's not that hard. You go, yes, it is. And I want to go, yes, it is. I've been in marital counseling. I will continue to be in marital counseling down the road because it has helped me. Because there's times where I go, I've got to throw my stuff on the table and have somebody help me and Melanie out with it because I don't always do it right. I'm not ashamed to say that. And it has helped tremendously. And we need that help. I need to be reminded of who I am in Christ. And I need to be reminded that sometimes I'm not acting. My pride gets in the way from me loving my wife. And I need to be reminded of that. So this morning, it's kind of a different kind of invitation. But God loves us and wants what's best for us. And maybe you're there and you're hearing this. And I hope you saw somewhere in this that God wants what's best for you. And if you need to name him as your Lord and Savior today, we want you to have that opportunity to name him as your Lord and Savior and start. Now, we've got one problem this morning. Um, we, we had a busted pipe in our um, baptistry this week. So the baptistry is not working. So if you want to be baptized today, we will find a pool or a lake or a puddle out in the parking lot and we will baptize you. But we just can't do it in there today, okay? We just can't. Um, but we want you to know that. After, or if you're looking for a church family, he's going to say, look... We, we fail at these things, but we're not going to lower the standard. We're not going to change the standard because we're not doing well in our marriages and our relationships. We're going to keep the bar of what God's asked us to be and who God's asked us to be as a church. And if you want to join a church like that, we offer that invitation as well.